You are listening to the Healthcare Analytics Podcast with myself, Caleb Loya. Doing a lot of work behind the scenes is my teammate, Tatsuya Murao. He is also starting up his own podcast, and so in time, I will share those details with you so you can go along and follow him on his podcasting journey. In this specific episode, I'm going to talk about linear regression and how you can use linear regression to your advantage as a leader. You know, oftentimes within any organization, we stick to what we know and we don't venture outside of what we uh, don't know. And that is very, very common in statistics. I often say to myself that the majority of leaders in healthcare, in tech, in engineering, in any other industry are deficient when it comes to statistics. And I'm not kidding either. If you have, let's say you have a data science department within a large organization, like let's say Google or Twitter, I would say that even within that organization that has qualified people who are data scientists, they do not easily translate those skills into the entire organization. Meaning that if there is a data model that was pushed out by a data science team, then often many people don't know how to interpret those insights into actionable data. And one of the ways to better understand how to use data modeling in your everyday life is to get a better grasp of statistics. And fundamentally, the reason why is because statistics essentially run our lives in the background, that people make decisions on a daily basis based on statistics, and oftentimes they don't know how those statistics are derived. Like, you know how Mark Twain said that there are lies, there are damned lies, and then there are statistics. And this is one area where we are just hoodwinked every single day because we see a post here, a post there something on TV that tells us about statistics, but we really don't ask what's behind those statistics, what data are they using, and then how is it derived? And in my example, the best leaders are the ones who will look at a piece of information and say, okay, now where are you getting those numbers? What kind of calculations are being used to derive those numbers? And then if you are using a statistical model, what statistical model are you using and is it appropriate for the situation that you are looking for? And managers and leaders get fooled every day because they essentially want to trust the numbers that are being given to them or have a feeling that the numbers that are being presented to them aren't quite accurate, but they'll go along with it anyway because it is convenient for them to have those numbers that are presented to them, the numbers that don't look as great on the page. To give you a real world example, I'm seeing on Twitter this whole argument about how many users on Twitter are valid humans or just robots. And it's kind of interesting because you have somebody who is very competent in terms of engineering, math, science, and even rocket science, right? And so Elon Musk is pretty much calling out Twitter and saying, I don't believe your number that you have only 5% of your users are robots. 
I believe it's more like 50 to 60% of the users on Twitter are robots. And so how can you have that huge of a discrepancy at a organization that is publicly traded, right? You ask, okay, well, did anybody really want to ask how many real users Twitter had? And the answer is, quite frankly, no, that the SEC would take Twitter's numbers and they would say, okay, well, we believe those statistical models that you're deriving. And Elon Musk is saying, well, if I'm going to buy this company, you better be sure that we have less than 5% of our users being robots. But if it's more like 50%, well, the valuation of the company can be quite different based on just that one metric. But now imagine that Twitter isn't the only one fudging the numbers, right? Suppose Facebook doesn't really accurately calculate the way that they have users. And suppose that there are many other publicly traded companies that do not explain how they derive the metrics that they derive, even though they're a publicly traded company and that they give information on a quarterly basis about their performance. Now, the reason why they don't give that information is because fundamentally they're not required to, or the investors of that company do not expect that level of rigor when it comes to producing the numbers that help investors make better decisions. And I would argue that if there were investors, normal individuals who had a better grasp of statistics, then they would be able to push back on the numbers that were being given and really understand if they are valid numbers or not. Another argument that is an ongoing argument is whether the information as far as inflation is correct or not. And so the Bureau of Labor Statistics here in the United States puts out numbers about what their year-over-year inflation numbers are based on each quarterly update. And if you don't look at the fine print and you say, okay, well, I guess I'll take their word for it that it's 8%, then it really, really doesn't take into account all the things you spend. And I had a friend, he's a finance guy in a multi-billion dollar corporation And he works in Kansas City, and he was talking to me about how he actually read how they calculate the consumer price index. In order to calculate rents, what the Bureau does is they essentially call homeowners on landlines and ask them if they rented out their house, how much would they rent their house out for? They didn't call up renters who are actually renting houses, they called up people with landlines who had owned houses and asked them how much they would have rented houses. Now, just in that one example, I can tell you that those who have landlines are probably over the age of 50. Most people in their 20s, 30s, and let's say 40s don't even have landlines. And those houses that have landlines are probably old houses to begin with. So if you're asking somebody who is, let's say, 60, what they would rent their house for, they have a very, very different answer than somebody who is actually renting a home who is, let's say, 25 or 30, right? And so even just based on that one number, your rents can be drastically off in specific markets just based on that. One of the things that I notice is that just Chipotle, as far as eating out, has gone up in the past, let's say, 
year where I remember having to only pay $7.50 in the Midwest for a Chipotle bowl. If you don't know, Chipotle is just a easy, healthy meal that you can get with rice and beans and chicken and vegetables and cheese. And so anyway, I remember going out to eat at Chipotle and paying $7.50 every single time. And that was just about a year ago. This weekend when I went to Chipotle, it was about $10.50. So in a year, just with looking at Chipotle, I know that it's gone up 30%. But the CPI print is not 30%. And even with food, uh, and if you look at the food adjustment that the Bureau gives out, it's not 30%. I can tell you that for sure. And if I look at gas prices, I know that about a year, year and a half ago, I was paying $2.00. A gallon, and now here in the Midwest, we're paying about four. So I know that the numbers aren't right, but some people just take those numbers as gospel without actually looking at them and saying, well, that doesn't seem right. And in corporations, that is very, very common to where even if it's a engineering centric organization, they don't really take the time to look at the numbers to ask if they're okay they will take for granted the work that the finance or accounting or data science team has done without knowing for themselves how those numbers were derived. So in continuation of this series on data modeling, I'm going to now talk about linear regressions. And even saying the words linear regressions, some of you are going to roll your eyes and say, oh, great, now we're going to talk about linear regressions. Let's go back to my statistics class in college or high school. But one of the things is that when I learned statistics back in college, I learned it and then promptly forgot about it. And then when I was undergoing learning when it came to data science, then I had to re-remember that uh, information when it came to statistics. The reason why is because statistics and data science are very well interconnected, especially when you're talking about data model, when you're talking about trying to find patterns within data and trying to make better decisions. So fundamentally, what a linear regression is, is it is a data model that can help you determine the relationship between two factors. In data science, we call it a null hypothesis and an alternate hypothesis. And when people talk about a null or alternate hypothesis, this is where I lose probably 50% of you just right there. because. I know that in my classes in college and grad school, this is where I just zoned out and I'm like, I do not care what a hypothesis is. I do not really want to talk about science or anything like that. Just give me the numbers. I just want to be able to crunch numbers and just move on from what a hypothesis and null hypothesis is. But, but listen, it's very, very important because what we're really talking about is just two theories that are being presented here. One theory is the status quo, and the other is an alternate theory. And so if I say null hypothesis, that's just the status quo. The alternate hypothesis is the hypothesis or the alternate theory that I have about a specific thing. 
And so if a linear regression is a data model that helps us determine whether two factors are correlated or not, or if there is interplay between these two factors, a null hypothesis says that there is no relationship between these two factors. An alternate hypothesis will tell you, hey, there is a relationship here that we didn't know. And to give you a real world example, I was part of a data science team that we met every Saturday just to do data science projects on the side and figure out specific problems within our city. And so the police department for Kansas City reached out to our data science group and asked us to give a prediction about the crime rate within the next year. And so there was this inside joke we had about the level of consumption of ice cream and the level of crime within Kansas City, that if consumption for ice cream went up, then crime would go up as well, which is kind of a funny thing to think about because, you know, if you go eat ice cream, it's not like you're going to go on and rob a bank or anything. But the the correlation was kind of there, right? Because in the summertime, people eat ice cream, but also more crime happens in the summertime and fall as well. When it gets cold, people stay more indoors and don't do as much theft, robbery, etc. But you could make specific hypotheses for many things, like, for example, the water you drink and hospital visits, right? And so if you were in Flint, Michigan, then there would probably be a high correlation between the number of hospital visits within that area and the tap water that was drank because of the level of lead contamination within their water supply. But if you were to have that same hypothesis, let's say, in Dallas, Texas, then you would not have had the alternate hypothesis proved within Dallas, Texas. So if you say, hey, is there a correlation between drinking tap water and hospital visits within Dallas, Texas, you would probably have no correlation and it would reach that null hypothesis. But if you went to Flint, Michigan and did the same test, then you would have an alternate hypothesis of there is a correlation between drinking tap water and hospital visits. And so this is where the null hypothesis and alternate hypothesis comes in. If you understand this, then you can start to understand how other models prove out to be true or not based on that level of thinking. What a linear regression is, is it is a simple way to understand how two factors are associated. And so one of the best ways to represent this visually is just a scatter plot, right? And so if you just look at a scatter plot with two specific variables, one variable on the Y and one on the X, then you can even see with your eyes if there is a trend of data points within that that you can draw a line through. And many data visualization tools will give you the ability to just draw a dotted line through the average of all the points. And that is essentially a linear regression. So if you see any specific chart that has two factors, one on the X and one on the Y, and different plots within it, and a line going through it, then that's your linear regression right there. And it is as simple as that. Now, if you want to get into the details about if those correlations are significant, then that's where you have to go another level down to understand linear regressions, right? And so if I plot on a map 
at the x-axis, the consumption of ice cream, and on the y-axis, the level of crime, then I'm probably going to have a good slope going through it that says, oh yeah, there's a correlation between ice cream consumption and crime. But that really doesn't tell the full story, right? Because how do I know that there is a statistical relationship between them and how confident I am statistically that that relationship will hold true if I add more observations? Like, so for example, if I have consumption of ice cream and level of crime here in the United States, there's probably a good correlation. But if I go to, let's say, let's say I go to uh, sub-Saharan Africa, will that correlation hold true? I don't know if it will, but either way, there's this third factor that we haven't taken into account as far as the temperature outside. And so if we're only looking at two specific factors, then we're not taking a look at that third factor of temperature or weather outside that is a determining factor of whether people go out or not, or if they stay home because it's too cold outside. So now that we understand what a null hypothesis and an alternate hypothesis is, then we can start to evaluate whether a linear regression or really, frankly, other models are useful for predicting two different factors or multiple factors. So I'm going to go through a series of terms and how they work within a readout of a linear regression. One of the ways I recommend getting familiar with the linear regression is just using Excel. By taking a specific data set within Excel, it's very, very easy to develop a linear regression based on data. You can do this on historical data. You can do this on stock market data. You can do this on health data. Any data that has two or more factors, you can run linear regressions off of in Excel. Now, I prefer Python because there are a lot of things that you can do in Python when it comes to linear regression and other types of data modeling. But if you do not know Python, then I would recommend with Excel because it's easily understandable. You can get a specific readout of a linear regression and it's built into Excel. These are the specific terms that you will see in any statistical readout when it comes to linear regression. You will see uh, a coefficient number. You're going to see a standard error, a t-statistic, and a p-value. And those specific terms give descriptions for the linear regression and for the relationship between two specific variables. From there, you will have at least three specific ways of assessing the accuracy of the model. One is residual standard error, or RSE. The other is R-squared statistic. And the third is the F-statistic. As I just spoke about those specific terms, I probably lost a lot of you, but stay with me because these will be very, very important and it will elevate your level of understanding of statistics to a place that wasn't there before. I promise I will not go into any fancy math, but I'm going to explain what these terms mean in as plain English as possible. And the reason why is that even though I have a background in data science and statistics and finance, 
I like to remember in my head what that means at a logical level. And then I can go into the math. And so if you understand what these terms mean logically, then you can do your own homework about the math that goes behind it if you need to look at that math. So let's start off with those descriptive terms that help you understand a linear regression. So the first is coefficient. What is a coefficient? Essentially, the coefficient is determining the shape of the line or the slope of the line. It is a way to estimate the relationship between two factors because what it's doing is the coefficient is that estimate that says, hey, we have a slope within this line, or this is one factor in determining the slope within the line based on all of these dots. So that coefficient, if it's positive, then there's a positive correlation. If the coefficient is negative, then there's a negative correlation. Likewise, if it is a positive coefficient, then it's usually a line that's sloping up and to the right. If it is a negative correlation, then it is a line that is sloping down, down and to the left, right? And so all that to say is that that coefficient is the first term that you will typically see when it comes to a linear regression. Now that you understand the coefficient and it being positive, meaning that there's a positive correlation, and negative meaning there's a negative correlation. If it's zero, that means that typically there's hardly any correlation between these two factors that you're analyzing. The next term is the standard error. Now the standard error is the average distance of the points to the regression line. So it is measuring the deviation of the points from the estimated line in general. And so if you have a high standard error, that means that you have a large distance between the points and the line in general. A t-statistic is a shortened for test statistics, and it is used to derive a p-value. All that to say is that if there is a relationship between um, these two factors, then the t-statistic will help you determine your confidence interval. And this test statistic is a calculation that helps you determine if there is a viable relationship between two specific factors. This test statistic is then rolled up into something we call a p-value. And the p-value is one of the most important terms on this list because it is determining how confident we are of the relationship. So if the p-value is less than 5%, that means that we have a confidence interval of over 95%. So if you see what I did there, the p-value and the confidence interval are flipped. So if somebody asks, hey, what's my p-value? And if the p-value is under 5%, that means that you can be very, very confident in the relationship between the two specific factors that you're looking at. Said another way, if you have a confidence interval of over 95%, then you can be very, very confident that there is a relationship between these two factors that you're looking at. So when I run any regression, one of the first things I look at is that p-value. And the reason why is because that p-value is that end value that helps me determine, hey, should I look at these specific factors at all? Should I 
make any further calculations based on that p-value. So if that p-value is less than 5%, I can say, okay, great. I can now go ahead with further analysis based on this specific correlation between an x and a y factor. If it is greater than 5%, then I have to ask myself if I should implement a new factor within my data set that can help me get a better predictive result. Now that you understand the specific overall descriptive terms for linear regression, I'm going to go into the terms that help you assess the accuracy of a specific model. The first is residual standard error. And residual standard error can tell you the average amount of responses that will deviate from the regression line. So the residual standard error helps you determine fit. What is the average of the difference between the deviation of the line between those specific points? So that's different than your standard error. Your standard error gives you the average distance of the regression line, but residual standard error is a way of giving you the average amount that each response will deviate from that regression line. And so if you get a new data set, then you can say, hey, my previous data set had a residual standard error of, let's say, three units. So what that means is that if I get that new data set and it has a higher residual standard error, then I say, okay, well, my original data set that I had for training the specific model had a lower standard error. But when I implement a new data set, then my residual standard error isn't the same. So it brings into question if this linear regression is helpful or not. I'm going to go into future episodes about training data sets and predictive data sets. But for now, I'm going to stick to what we're talking about as far as linear regression. But to keep us on track, R squared is another way to assess the accuracy of a model. An R squared statistic is the proportion of variance in response to a variable that can be explained. All this to say is that the R squared statistic is a percentage of the observations that with, fit within the model. So it's what it's saying is, is that of all these observations, what percent fit within the model where all the points fit within a specific range that is acceptable, right? And so if residual standard error gives you a specific amount of deviation in terms of units, then R-squared statistic turns that into a percentage. And this is one of the most important things to realize is that any data model, it's usually going to give you an R-squared statistic. And if that R-squared statistic is higher, then you're going to say, okay, we have a better fit for the model. And so if it has a better fit now, you can use that model to train your data so that if you have any new data that comes in, then that R-statistic can then be reassessed. The F-statistic is a way to compare multiple linear regressions. 
And so if you have many specific observations within a data set, then your F statistic will say, okay, well, what is the best linear uh, regression or what is the best line through these observations? And so if you see any charts that have multiple regressions on one specific uh, plot chart, then that's the F statistic doing its work. And it's actually testing out, okay, is this really the best linear model for all of these observations? And that's pretty much it. Those are the basics that you need to know for linear regressions. And that really wasn't that painful. What it is, is it can give you a better understanding about how to understand these terms. And so you can ask the right questions because if somebody from a data science department or statistics or an engineering department comes with you with a linear regression or any other data model, you need to at least ask a few questions. And this information can help you better assess if this model will fit for the decision that you're wanting to make. To give you an example about how I would use this in real life, if I was looking at data for, let's say, water consumption and hospital visits, then what I would do is, once I got that statistical readout for a linear regression, then I would, first of all, look at it and say, okay, just generally, what's my coefficient? Is it positive or negative? If it's positive, then there is a positive slope within that line that shows that if water consumption or tap water consumption goes up, then so will hospital visits. Then I will look at the standard error and say, okay, what is the distance from the regression line? What's that average distance? So I will say, okay, what is that average distance from each specific observation on my chart and the line based on the average gallons of water drank by day or by week. Then I will look at the T-statistic. And the T-statistic won't tell me much, but what it will tell me is it will tell me how strong there is a relationship between these two factors. And likewise, the P-value will tell me the same. It will give me a confidence interval that will tell me, okay, if it's under 5%, then I have an over 95% confidence interval. So if I have, let's say, a 97% confidence interval, then that means that there is a very, very strong relationship between the water that is being drank from tap and the hospital visits within a specific area. So that's how I understand those descriptive terms when it comes to linear regression. But importantly, I want to understand how accurate this model is. So if I implement new data into the model, that I can expect to get the same results. And so I will first look at the residual standard error. And this is the average amount of the response that will deviate from the regression line. And so with every observation, then I will have a residual standard error that tells me, okay, this is the average that you will have a deviation from that regression line. But most importantly, I will look at that R-squared statistic. And this R-squared statistic can be used in multiple kinds of data models. And it's one of the most important statistics in determining the accuracy of that model. And this R-statistic will tell me the percentage of variance in response to that variable. So if I get an R-squared statistic of, let's say, 99%, that 99% of people who drink tap water have 
hospital visits. And so if I have a 99%, that means that pretty much everybody who drinks tap water will go to the hospital, right? And so that R squared statistic can be uh, deemed significant depending on what you're looking at. Even if that R squared statistic is, let's say, 40 or 50 percent, what that means is that 40 or 50 percent of the people who drink tap water will then go to the hospital. That's still really important to understand because it's not 100 percent of the people who drink tap water go to the hospital, but it is a significant amount, right? If you have half of your population that is going to the hospital because of the tap water they drink, well, that's still very, very important to understand. And so when it comes to linear regression, two of the things that are the most important to look at is your p-value or your confidence interval and your r-squared statistic. If you understand these two out of all the other things I talked about, then you can make better decisions when somebody lays in front of you a linear regression or other data model. I hope this is helpful and I hope that I didn't lose you throughout the process because this is very, very important for leaders as a whole because many times leaders just take for granted the information that they are given without asking questions about how they're determined. And I can't tell you how many staff and board meetings I've been to where somebody asks a question based on a specific number and the person who has given that report does not know how that's been calculated. And they say to the executive or the director at that meeting, I'll have to check back on you because the statistician or data scientist was the one who developed those numbers. But if you know how they're developed, then that conversation goes a lot quicker because then you can determine if those numbers are useful or not for your purposes of making better decisions. And if you have any other content that you would like us to cover or any questions that you have about statistics, linear regressions, data science, or any of the above, then feel free to reach out to us at podcast at arcosanalytics.com. Likewise, you can find us on LinkedIn and Twitter if you prefer those methods of communication. Thanks for listening and tracking with me on this podcast and our journey about data modeling. Stay tuned because this kind of information can help elevate your level of leadership beyond what you are doing now. So thanks for listening and I will talk to you later.